Our text will be found in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. As I said, we're going to kind of be camped here for a few weeks, mining out all of the things that it has to say for us, all the ways that we can live righteously. That is the call here in these verses, that we live righteously. So let's take a look at the text and we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Would you bow your heads and pray? Father, we come before you this morning and we give all glory to you. We are thankful to be gathered here together and to be able to sing your praises, Lord, and now to look into your word. Remove the distractions that might be in our minds and the things that are weighing heavy on our hearts, Lord. Help us to cast all of those at your feet, as was said in the prayer. We know that you are in control of everything. Give us peace in that, Lord, and help us to focus on living in these circumstances we face ourselves. So teach us right now, Lord, and open our hearts and our minds to your word. Help me to be faithful to it and not stray from it. I ask this in the mighty, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you think about it, the human body is a pretty amazing thing. All the things that it does, all of the systems that make it up, and it's very intricate and wonderfully designed that I can be thinking of these words that I haven't written down and they're coming out of my mouth and forming into things that can be heard and you're processing it. All that goes into our body is really amazing. All the systems that work together and it's really a masterpiece. I don't see how anyone could look at it and say it is evolved by chance or by accident. That is rather foolish in my sight. I see it as intelligently designed by our creator, God. And with these amazing bodies, we can do some pretty amazing things. Athletes have their bodies tuned like a, like a machine to where they can run fast or lift huge weights or, or throw balls really far, whatever you want to say. Or my, the ones that amaze me is those people that run with a pole and they stick it in the ground and they pole balls over a, whatever, a bar. I, 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 can't, I can't do that. I think about trying it, <laughs> I can't do that, at least not on purpose. People are, have tuned their bodies to run like machines, right? Or we can build things, like buildings. This was built with sets and pairs of hands in people's minds, right? Working together to build what is actually quite amazing. People put the stained glass together with their hands and with their eyes. and We build cars if you're in the cars or buildings or whatever it is. Rather amazing things that we can make from scratch or we earn livings with them. Whether it's you work with your hands or you work with your mind or whatever it may be, you earn living. You do a lot with this amazing body. The problem is quite often we don't use them for the very thing they are created to do. And that is glorify God. Scripture is clear. We are made for God's glory and to give Him glory. 
That's why when it tells us we have sinned, we have fallen from glory. Fallen short of the glory of God, which we were created to do. Everything in you is made to praise God, to have a relationship with Him, to enjoy that relationship and share that with others. That's what we are made to do. Quite often we don't do that, do we? We use this body for other things. Other things. And we need to be reminded what we are made for. And these two verses that we are spending time in remind us exactly why we are created. That we are to glorify God in this body by living righteously for Him. Now last week we already discussed there's a need for it. Just look outside. Look at the state of society and all the fear and all the the evil that's in society. There is a need for the church to stand up and boldly be the church. Amen? To... Live in a way that Christ is seen and heard and felt through us. More than just some mental thing. Physically live it out. In the things that we say, in the things that we do. Places we go. There's a need for that. That's why Paul says, I beseech you, brethren. Hey, I'm coming alongside you and I'm begging you. Let's get this in place. We need to do this. And the call is the same today. There's a need for the church to live righteously. We also, saw, we also saw both that there's a foundation and a framework for righteous living. There is a why. We see it in the word therefore. Why do we live righteously? Because of the mercies of God on us. Think about it, man. He saved us. When we were sinners and separated from Him, He sent Christ to die for our sins. He has saved us from eternal damnation. He has put us on the right path of walking with Him and serving Him. And being in touch with Him, God has been merciful to us, hasn't He? Romans chapter 1 through 11 tell us all about that. So Paul says, hey, because of all of this, there's something we need to do. And there's a framework given too. That is through His church. That we are to be part of His body, to live out as His servants and be a witness to the world. Finally, what we saw is it says, present your bodies. There is a choice that you have to make. I can't do this. We have to make that our our own choice, right? So let's start getting into the details. How does this work? How do we live righteously? I think it all sounds good in our mind, right? We want to live right. How do we do that? How do we put that in play? Well, the first phrase I want to focus on is it says, present your bodies. You see that there in the text? Present your bodies. So many today make Christianity like this mental thing. Like it's a way of thinking. Or this totally spiritual thing. There's certainly a spiritual aspect to it. We are saved spiritually. But so many people just leave it like that. Like if you change your way of thinking and change some things in your heart, then you're all good. And this body, well, that's kind of secondary. Any work that God's going to do, He's going to do on the inside. And... It's not, really gonna, it's not really about the outside anyways. If he does, fine. If not, well, big deal. That's kind of the mindset of, of Christianity. Like, it's all inside. It's internal with me, between me and God. And the outside doesn't matter. Let me tell you right now, that's a form of what is called Gnosticism. And if you want to understand that, read 1 John. And the Bible is very clear. There's something we are to do with this body. With this body. Turn back in Romans to chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. 
And notice what Paul says here. Now, we're going to be turning to a lot of scriptures. I don't apologize for it. This is church. We read the Bible. So you probably should have a Bible in church and be looking at a Bible in church. It just might help you. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Notice what Paul says here in this very letter. He says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Now see, Paul just took it from the spiritual level into the physical level, didn't he? Don't let sin be controlling this mortal body. That ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. You all know the desires of the flesh. You all know the temptations that this body can bring. And Paul is laying it down here saying, hey, don't let those reign. Don't let those rule that you find yourself obeying it all the time. Verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. You know what he's saying? Your hands, your feet. Your eyes, your ears, those are the members. Don't give those over to doing unrighteous things with them. Instead, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. He's saying, hey, you've been set free from sin by Christ. There's some new desires that should be in your body. There's some new actions we should be taking. And clearly he's speaking about our physical bodies. The same is the case in chapter 12. What Paul is saying is present your body, this physical body, as service to God. The first step in that, by the way, is baptism, putting this body where it needs to be, and getting baptized, becoming part of his church, and Living righteously. And this is more than just some mental or spiritual thing. That's important. We're getting to that in the next verse. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. But it has everything with what we do in this body. You see, it matters what you say. It matters what you look at. It matters where you go and what you do, right? You're a new creation. We don't do the old things anymore. We're living a new life. And so we present our bodies as a sacrifice to him. What did Romans 12, 1 say? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, if you've been going to church any time, you've probably heard that phrase over and over again, and you're used to it. But stop and think for a second. What did Paul say? A living sacrifice. There's a fancy term for that, and I hate using it applying it to the Bible, but I'm sure you've heard the term, an oxymoron, you know, like an open secret, or deafening silence, or pretty ugly, or a liberal Christian. <laughs> oh, that's bad. We'll edit that out. The word denotes, the word sacrifice denotes death, doesn't it? When you hear the word sacrifice, it means death. What is Paul talking about a living sacrifice? What's going on there? What he's doing is he's pulling from the Old Testament. You, you can read the Old Testament and you see the sacrifice was like a central part of it. 
You'd bring the lamb or the toad or the bull to the priest. The priest would, the priest would slit their throat and its blood was spilled as a covering for sin. The animal's life was taken in place of the sins of the person bringing it. Now listen, let me just say, we know that all those animal sacrifices pointed to the one and ultimate and final sacrifice for sin, and that is Jesus Christ. We need to spend just a little bit of time here. Turn to the book of Hebrews. If you're in Romans, turn right. You'll run into Hebrews. After a few letters, you'll see Thessalonians and Timothy. You'll run into Hebrews. Is Paul saying we need to come and like offer our, offer our bodies to be killed in some way to pay for our own sin? No. No. That's already been done. Once and for all, that's already been done. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come... By a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy, holy place, having e obtained eternal redemption for us. Christ has entered in to the very presence of God, not by the blood of animal sacrifice, but by the blood of his own perfect sacrifice of his own perfect body and has obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Animal sacrifice never cleansed every, anyone. It was the blood of Christ that brought our salvation. And all of those animal sacrifices were just a picture of one who would take care of it. Fully and finally, and that is Christ. Look in verse 22. And almost all things are, by the law, purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Verse 24. For Christ is not entered in the holy places made with hand, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others, for then he must have often suffered since the foundation of the world. Listen now. But now once, in the end of the world, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once. Once on that cross, Christ shed his blood to put away sin. Period. There is no other sacrifice that is needed. Verse 27. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin into salvation. Chapter 10 tells us he offered one sacrifice for sins forever and sat down on the right hand of God. When we read this phrase, this living sacrifice, it is not talking about us making some kind of atonement for our sins or serving for our salvation. No, that was done on the cross by Christ. 
His blood shed once for all. There's a beautiful song we sing. Once for all. It speaks of Christ as He paid the debt for sin. I don't pay that. I don't pay the debt for my own sin. Christ has. You see, Jesus died in our place. And by the way, look at chapter 12 and verse 24. Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. You know what that means? The blood still speaks. That blood is still the thing that saves us. It hasn't run out. Its power is not gone. The blood is still there. Forgiveness of sins is still there for any and everyone who would accept Christ as Savior. Does it run out? It's still speaking. That sacrifice that was given once for all. You see, Jesus died in my place. His blood is given as the payment for my sin and for all who will believe. I don't have to die for my sins. Jesus died for me. And His life, given in His place, is the sacrifice that pays for sin. So let's be careful when we read that thing and think, well, I've got to be a living sacrifice so I can get into heaven. No, that was taken care of by Christ at the cross. Only way we get into heaven is by believing and trusting in Him in faith. As He saves us. So what is He talking about? What in me needs to be sacrificed? Well, if you're very honest, as you look at your own mind and your own heart and your own tendencies, there's some things that need to be put to death, aren't there? How many of you were warm and fuzzy when you heard the announcement of the next president? How many wanted to go out and hug somebody who voted for them? But were you angry? Frustrated. Wanting to vent that frustration. Yeah, there's some things in it that need to be put to death, isn't there? Isn't there? Not saying those are wrong. Not saying I didn't have the same thoughts. But there's some things in us that need to be put to death. You see, even though, even though the moment that we place our faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven, we are cleansed from them, we're given eternal life. The, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says we are a new creation in Christ. We're born again, given this new life. We still got this to deal with, don't we? This flesh, this body. And Paul says, hey, you need to take this body and present it to God as a living sacrifice. Why? Let's be honest, this body can be a problem, can't it? It's weak. It's subject to temptation. It's a vehicle for sin. If you're going to sin, it's most likely going to be something you say, something you do, right? There's some things that need to be put to death. You see, Satan's attacks aren't just mental. That's a part of it, right? He attacks our mind. But they're not just mental. There's physical temptations that come in front of us that we have to deal with. So now you see there's a battle. There's a battle. There's a battle between this new nature, this new creation of God, and this old failing man that I'm stuck in until I see Christ. And the failings this body has. Turn to Romans chapter 7. So left turn from Hebrews, run back into Romans chapter 7. 
Romans chapter 7. Sometimes we're kind of quiet about the battles we face. I don't know why. We're all human. We all got the same battles going on. Sometimes we're kind of quiet about it. I thank God that he led Paul to write some words right here that really helped me. The Apostle Paul is a great and holy man. You learn a lot from him. And he's a great missionary, right? Well, listen, he, he bears his heart here. Listen to what he says. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. He says, I find a law that when I want to do good, evil is present with me. You ever find, anybody ever found that out? You want to read your Bible? You get that phone call. You want to go out and talk to your neighbor? Something happens. Things go crazy. <laughs> it's like Satan's right there waiting, isn't he? You want to do good, huh? I'm going to bring this on. It's going to take your side off of this or that. Paul faced the same thing. I find it. A law then, when I want to do good, evil is present with me. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. We love the law of God. We love the Bible. We love everything that it tells us to do. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members. Remember, that's this body. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is my, in my members. He says there's, there's the desire to do good, but there's that sinful nature that it's a battle. And sometimes it wins. Sometimes it wins. Verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? How do we get delivered from that? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is a battle within us. And some things need to be put to death. You see, the the call that Paul is given here and the Spirit is given in Romans chapter 12 is that we are to bring our bodies to serve God as though they were dead yet alive. Putting to death some things in our flesh but living unto God. So check this out. Let's look in Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Let's see what the Bible has to say about that. Romans 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Hey, we got saved. We believed in Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? Why do we keep doing the old things? We're a new person. We're a new person. Know ye not that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. We've got a new life, a new calling. We don't do the old things we used to do. Right turn to Galatians. Galatians. You'll see 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Galatians is going to be the next book. Galatians chapter 2. Should we continue doing the old things we used to do? No, we've got a new life now. Verse 20, excuse me, yes. Galatians 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. My sins are gone, man. He took my place. My sins are nailed to that cross, covered by the blood of Christ. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Well, how's that? Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, I have a brand new life that comes from Christ and Christ's power working in and through me, living through me, that I might be a witness to those around and put the, the old ways down. Because my old man and all of its sins was crucified and nailed to that cross. See, I've got a new life. It's not me. It's Christ living in and working through me, through this body. See, the life that I live in the flesh, I'm living by the faith of the Son of God. Following Him now. Submitting myself to Him. Chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 24. Yeah, I know it's a lot of Bible, but hey... We want to see what the Word of God has to say to us, right? Galatians 5, verse 24. And they that are Christ's, are you Christ this morning? Are you His? Your sins have been forgiven. Have you followed Him faithfully, walking faithfully? Okay, then there's some responsibilities. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. See, we reckon ourselves dead to sin. That flesh is dead. I'm killing it. And I'm letting Christ live through me. All those affections, those things that I want, oh man, some, some things that sound good to my flesh. And the lust, because I'm killing it. I'm crucifying it. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we have been made alive by Him, follow Him, walking in Him, following His leading. Colossians chapter 3. Let's go there. Keep turning right. You'll run into Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And by the way, the tense of the verb in Greek is keep on seeking. Make it a goal of your life to seek those things which are above, where Christ sit, sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead. Talk about that flesh man, right? You're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We've got a new life, a new focus. We're putting to dead that old flesh. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Look now, verse 5. Mortify. You know what that means? The fancy King James word for kill. Put to death. Mortify, therefore, your members. Members, parts of your body, this, this flesh, fleshly tendencies of our body. Mortify your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see some of these things that we deal with in the flesh? What is the command of Scripture? Put them to death. Kill them. Kill sin in your life and live your life to God. Verse 7. In the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. You used to live in these things. This is what you used to do. But now you have put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Verse 10, and have put on the new man. You see that the exchange there? We're putting off 
the old man and his ways, and we're killing that sin, and we're putting on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. See this new way of thinking that's elevated above the fleshly tendencies, this new man? If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, also, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye are also called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, everything you do in word or action, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. You see that? We've been made alive, and at the same time we are sacrificing some things. We are putting to death some of the things of the flesh nature, and living now after the new man, and to... Unto God who has called us to that, these new attitudes and these new ways and these these new speeches and all that we have, right? We are living as dead to the flesh and alive to God. I'm going to kill the sin in my life. Those sinful thoughts, when they come along, put them down. You don't have to keep thinking them. The sinful action, when the tendencies, when the temptation comes up, you don't have to follow through. You can consciously say, no, I'm not going to do that. You know what that's called? A living sacrifice. I'm going to live and do what's right, not what's wrong. I'm living for God now. And by the way, some of you know how intense that can be. Feel like you're on a good track and you're going along just fine, and all of a sudden something happens and the day starts out good, and by nine or ten in the morning, holy moly, what happened? I, I, I'm walking around angry and full of bitterness or spite or whatever it may be, and goodness, what happened? I read my Bible, I prayed. Yeah. Take hope in this, because Paul says this in First Corinthians. 15 and 31, I die daily. This is a daily thing. This is a daily decision. It's not like we make it once in our life and boom, it's done. We're going to be holy the rest of our life. No, this is a daily commitment we have to make. I'm going to live for you. Luke 9, 23, Jesus says this, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, put that flesh to death, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's a daily commitment. Day by day saying, Lord, today let me live and act for you. Each morning I'm going to decide to follow Jesus in all the areas we're going to be discussing. I want to be a living sacrifice. I'm presenting my body and the things that I'll say and the things that I'll see and the things that I'll hear today. I'm presenting that to you to give glory to you. 
living as dead to sin, temptations, and sinful actions, and alive to God and the Holy Spirit and living righteousness. So that's what it means when he says a living sacrifice. We understand? We've got a grasp of that? Putting dead, the, the sinful tendencies in us to death is living unto God. Okay, so here's the question, right? How do you do that? How do we do that? We're talking about the body. How do I do that? Give me some help, Pastor, because this is hard. You don't want to go out just with some general idea of, we heard a good message. It sounds really good, but how do I put this into practice? I want to give some help. How's this going to help tonight, tomorrow, the day after? How can we present this body, as verse 1 said in Romans 12, holy and acceptable to God? Right? So I'm trying to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. He does not talk to me. I don't sit down for a message and the Holy Spirit doesn't say, Hey Ryan, here's what you need to write. It's a lot of prayer, a lot of thinking and praying. Is, is, this, is this right, Lord? And, and trying to be sensitive to that and thinking how to lay this out. Can I say I've just had a song stuck in my head for the past couple of weeks? And it's not Don't Stop Believing by Journey or something like that. It's a song I've known since childhood, and maybe you're familiar with it too. I'm not going to sing it, because that would... I'm not going to sing it, but I'll tell you what it says. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, he is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And it goes on to say... Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear, and little mouth, what you say, and little hands, what you do, and little feet, where you go. Hmm. Sounds like pretty good advice to me. Sounds like pretty good advice to me. So you know what? I think we're just going to kind of follow that and see how it works out. As we present ourselves living sacrifice. We're only going to start on this and we'll continue next week. Our head gets us in a lot of trouble, right? More than just the mind. Paul's coming for the mind. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But I'm talking about our physical head. Our eyes get us in trouble. Our ears get us in trouble. Our mouth gets us in trouble, right? All the time. Not usually, I, I don't really go a lot of bad places. But I can say bad things at the good places I go, right? Or I can see bad things anywhere that I shouldn't, or hear, or place myself in a position where I can hear bad things, and that's going to lead to more sin, right? Our ears and our eyes and our mouths can get us in trouble. So let's start with our eyes. Can our eyes get us in trouble? <laughs> Can what we see get us in trouble? Oh, yeah, they can, right? In fact, so much so, they have their own category. John, when he's writing in 1 John, says this, the lust of the eyes. And that gives us its own category. It's, it's so dangerous what we place in front of us that there is something called the lust of the eyes. And it's no, it's no coincidence that when we read in the garden when man falls and, and the saint comes in and tempts, what's the first thing that is said? And Eve saw that the tree was good to eat. And then she took it. She saw. It was a temptation, the lust of the eye. 
You see, quite often temptation starts with something that we see. Through our eyes, just think about it, through our eyes we're led to covet, aren't we? We see the nice car, the nice house. We want it. Oh, we want it so bad, we start coveting. Through our eyes, through our eyes we are led to lust. We see something we should not, whether it's illicit material or something that we should not, and we begin to think on that, and we begin to be led down a path of lust. Listen, I've heard things thrown out like it's okay to look and not to touch. That's wrong. Dead wrong. Dead wrong. Second Samuel tells us that David, when he was walking on the roof of his house, saw a woman washing herself. Bathsheba. And instead of turning away and going back down into the palace, he lingered. You see, temptation might come before our eyes, and it's not a sin if something happens to come before our eyes and we turn away and we ask for forgiveness. The sin comes, the lust of the eyes gets us in trouble when the, linger, when the look lingers. When we begin to gaze and we begin to ponder and think. We live in an age of accessible temptation. Anything you could want to feast your eyes on, from stuff to buy to illicit material, is at a tap of our fingers, isn't it? It's there. In fact, some of you are watching or will watch on Facebook. You scroll down, not right now, but you scroll down about two posts, you're probably going to see something you shouldn't. Some ad. Somebody posting something. We need to sanctify our eyes, beloved. What we look at means a lot. What we look at and what our look lingers on is very important. As for this, this speaking of you can look but you can't touch, listen to what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Our eyes lead us to sin. And listen to what he says. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. There is a need for us to be vigilant about how we use these bodies. Starting with our eyes. Our eyes need to be holy. And listen, you know what? It's not just the stuff we see that can lead us into temptation. It's how we see things too. Look at Matthew chapter 6. So left turn in your Bibles into the Gospels. Matthew chapter 6, the first book of the New Testament. I want to see what Jesus says here. Maybe you don't have a problem necessarily with physical temptation. And you're very vigilant about that. Some people are, praise God. You might have weakness in other areas. But you know what? There's another aspect of vision that we need to be careful too. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 22. Look what he says. The light of the body is the eye. What's that phrase? Uh, windows, windows to the soul, right? It's like the windshield, the filter, 
for everything that comes into our brain. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, if thine eye be single, some translations say clear or healthy or good. That's what it's talking about. If your eye is single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil or dark or unhealthy, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is thy darkness. If we have vision that is clear and that is light and we see things and events and people with a clear, healthy, biblical vision, our heart is going to be full of light, isn't it? I can look at this election with one of two visions. Biblical vision to know God is in control. Nothing is out of his hands. And ultimately, I know everything will be fine. Everything will go according to his will. And you know what that does to my heart? It makes it full of light. It gives me peace. Or I can look at it another way. Oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. This is going to be bad. Stock up the ammo. Praise the Lord. Pass the ammunition. I'm heading for the hills. And what happens to your heart? Darkness. Bitterness. And anger. If our vision... Around, of the world around us is unhealthy and tainted by anger or sin or bitterness, that affects our whole being, right? And it only leads our, our heart down deeper into those things. And it obscures the light within you. Our eyes are pretty important, aren't they? Pretty important. We could go on and on. I think you all know this because you all know the temptations you face. You know the day and age we live in. So how do we present them holy and acceptable to God? How about this? Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 25. Write this down if you want to look at it later. It says this. Let thine eyes look right on. And let thy eyelids, eyelids look straight before thee. Temptation may come. Something may flash before your eyes. You don't have to stare. You don't have to turn aside and look. You can make the choice. Nope. I'm keeping my eyes straight on to God. I'm keeping my vision full. I don't have to look at that post. I don't have to look at that website. I don't have to look at that book. I don't have to look at that movie. I don't have to look at that person. I don't have to look at things this way. We have a choice, don't we? Solomon is, actually it's David instructing Solomon. Learn from me. Keep your eyes full. Keep your eyes full. You can make the choice that I will not look. In fact, you can go beyond that. You can go an extra step. Psalm 103, verse 3. I will set no wicked or worthless thing before mine eyes. I will not set it there. What you looking at? What consumes your time and your sight? Things you shouldn't be looking at? Pictures and videos that are filth? Listen, man, if you're afraid of somebody picking up your phone and going through it, you ought to make some changes. If you're afraid of your spouse, Picking up your phone and going through it. 
Repent. Set no worthless thing before your eyes. Keep your eyes straight on and present them as a living sacrifice to God. Yeah, it's that practical. Because just what you see and what you put in front of your eyes can derail your whole spiritual life. Why do you think Jesus says, don't do it literally. He's, he's making a point. But if your right eye is offending, you get it out. Because it's going to drag down everything. You understand? Very important, isn't it? Is it pictures or videos that are filthy? Video games full of death and blood and violence and gore. Ungodly movies. Media that continually festers fear and hate in your heart. The endless items that you just have to have. All of the bad qualities and people and situations. Listen, there's a lot of worthless things we can put before our eyes. And nobody is forcing you to do that. You can choose not to. You can choose not to. And what we ought to do is choose to sanctify our eyes. You may hide it. Well, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the father of the day is looking down in love. He sees everything. Everything. You know how we ought to sanctify our eyes? Psalm 119, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy love. How about you look at a Bible? <laughs> Number one thing Christians don't do, read the book that's written to them. That God speaks to us through. How about we read a Bible? Nobody's ever sinned looking at a Bible. You know what they've done? They've repented of sin. And gotten closer to God. How about we do that and let it lead us away from sin? Turn our eyes away from temptation. Put down the phone and spend some time reading the book that God has written you. Turn your eyes to your spouse. Turn them away from temptation. Whatever form that may take for you, sanctify your eyes and use them for the glory of God. You know what I can see? The brokenness. And I can look for ways to help them and to witness to them. Oh, we could go with this, right? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. See, now we're into the practical, aren't we? Now we're into the how-to. How does this Bible work out in my own life? And me being a living sacrifice for Him. We're going to continue with that next time, looking at some things. But till then, this is the choice that you and I have to make. To present this body a living sacrifice. And it's a daily choice to glorify God in the things that I say and I hear and I see and the things that I do in my hands, the places that I go. Kill the sin, kill the temptation, and live as alive to Him in everything you do. Let me just end with this. Maybe you slipped up. You haven't been glorifying Him. My advice is to confess and repent. Because every one of us has been there at some point, haven't we? We've all slipped up. We've all made mistakes. Confess. Repent. Jesus forgives. The blood still speaks. It still cleanses us from sin. And let's get up and begin making the right choice. But that's something that you have to do and I have to do in each, in each of our own hearts, right? So let's commit this week. 
to live as a living sacrifice to him. With bodies that are holy and acceptable, actions that are holy and acceptable unto him. And may he give us the grace. Father, lift this up to you and the words that have been said. Help us as we go from here in our own personal struggles. Lord, you see that and you know that we might seek to glorify you in all that we do and present ourselves as a sacrifice to you. Give us that help and that grace, Lord. Just move among us now and if there is sin that needs to be repented of that you would draw and, and forgive by your grace and mercy, Lord. Strengthen us always. I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.